the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Okay, eight minutes after 10 o'clock. Thanks for being with us. This is hour number two is underway on this Thursday, the 26th morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord, 2021. Um, so apparently the warnings were correct. A, a large, I won't say massive, a large explosion has been confirmed just outside the Kabul airport um, this morning, literally just apparently minutes ago. And I'm trying to gather as much information as I can. According to the Wall Street Journal, the explosion hit a crowd of Afghans trying to enter Kabul airport. No immediate word as to casualties. But this is why Americans were being warned over the course of the last several hours to avoid uh, the um, uh, the airport. And if, particularly if you are around certain gates, they were being told, do not, uh, do not uh, stay in that area because there is a threat of... Uh, of a terrorist attack. Now, whether we whether this is a suicide bombing or something else, we don't know yet. It's just too early, but it's what happened. So, yeah. So Americans who were told for the better part of the last week to get from Kabul or wherever it is that they were uh, working to the airport uh, on their own because they couldn't send the U.S. military into Kabul to get them. They said, basically, get to the airport and we'll fly you out of there. Now you can't go to the airport at all. I wonder if Jen Psaki would now agree that Americans are stranded in Afghanistan. All right, let's uh, bring on our, uh, our regular Thursday guest for reaction to this and more. Dr. Everett Piper is a former university president. He's a current best-selling author, as well as a columnist for the, for the uh, Washington Times. And uh, he is uh, also a radio podcast host in Oklahoma. Dr. Piper, good to have you back. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Bob. Thanks for having me on. All right. Um, 
You know, I, I, I just had a, a real expert on. I, I spoke with Brett Velikovich from U.S. Army Special Ops uh, Intelligence, and, uh, and we talked about what's going on in the chaos in, in Afghanistan right now. And he confirmed pretty much what I have been suggesting, and that is that the largest and mightiest military in the history of man, the American military, the modern American military, is now taking its orders from a group of uh, terrorist savages in in Afghanistan. They tell us what to do. They tell us when to jump. We say how high. They tell us you will get out by August 31st or there will be consequences. And Joe Biden says, okay, we'll be out by August 31st. You wrote on Sunday, Dr. Piper, and I don't know if any of this would be outdated. It doesn't seem like it. It seems like, in fact, it would be reinforced by recent uh, events. But you wrote a column in which you penned an open letter to Ned Price, American State Department spokesperson, on behalf of the Taliban. It seems like you kind of agree with everything that uh, Brett Velikovich told me and that I have just described. Tell us more. Well, my my article in the Washington Times is a bit of a satirical piece. Yes, I wrote it, but I'm writing it as if I am the Taliban. Mm -hmm. And I'm basically saying, Mr. Price, as you speak for the United States, as you speak for your State Department, as you stand before your nation and the world and you cower like a frightened little boy and you stammer in your staccato voice, you're embarrassing yourself and your foolish leaders by demanding... Seriously, demanding that we, the Taliban, immediately establish a new government that's humanitarian and inclusive and protects the rights of women and girls. And then, as you know, Bob, I go on and say, we laugh at you. You are in no position to demand anything of us. Your assumption of having any moral authority over Afghanistan and its people is a joke. And why do I say that, Bob? It's because of the principle of the vacuum. Vacuums are always filled. And when you have a vacuum of leadership in the United States, when you have a vacuum of values and virtue in the United States, that vacuum is going to suck something else into it. And that sucking sound that you you hear in the White House right now is the vacuum being filled by vice and violence. The Taliban is laughing at us because we have no moral authority, at least our White House does, and I'm not saying our soldiers don't, and I'm not saying that 50% of the American people who still stand essentially for a biblical ethic, I'm not saying that they have no, we have no moral foundation or grounding. What I am saying is that the United States, as it's officially represented by Ned Price and Joe Biden and the Democrat Party, has no moral leg to stand on. How can we tell anybody else that we want them to be humanitarian when we degrade the definition of the human being on a daily basis. How can we say that we want them to stand for women's rights and the rights of girls when we don't even grant our own women in the United States the right to have their own bathroom any longer? I mean, I could go on and on and on, as you know I do in this letter. I say, you subject your own children to the barbarity of puberty-blocking hormones, chemical castration, and, and surgical mutilation, and yet you claim that you expect us to be more humanitarian? What, what world do you live in? Dinesh D'Souza wrote back in, I believe, 2003 or 2004, that the Muslim rage against the West is not a rage against us being too Christian. 
it's a rage against us being not Christian enough. It's a rage against our secular immorality. It's a rage against the, against the vacuitous nature of the West and the United States as we double down on our moral nihilism. Dinesh D'Souza was right. I think he missed the mark in terms of not criticizing the Muslim worldview enough, but the vacuum that's being filled right now, this vacuum of zero leadership and zero values and zero virtue and zero morality is being filled by this evil, this barbarity, and they laugh at us. Yeah, you know, your closing paragraph on behalf of, you know, the Taliban uh, reads, Mr. Price, we understand that your country once honored a man named C.S. Lewis, who warned of a time when yours would be a characterless culture of men without chests. Your cowardly pleading with us proves that time has come. We ignore you. We mock you. We could not care less about your pedantic calls for women, women's rights and humanitarian ideals because you, sir, are a, a hypocrite. And it's hard to argue with that. It's hard to, to do that. You know, satirical or not, I mean, in truth, uh, the Taliban would have a point if they wrote such a letter, Dr. Piper, because um, we, you know, they should mock us because we really are uh, giving in on all of these things that supposedly made us and that made Western culture great. The um, infamous leaders like Saeed uh, Qutb, and I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his name correctly. I've forgotten it over the it years. Doesn't matter. He was one of the he was one of the original Islamic terrorists. He basically wrote the their Bible for how to defeat the West. And this was back in the, I think the 60s or 70s. This man was imprisoned, I believe, in Egypt for life. The point I'm making right here is even he said that if America would stand for its Christian ideals, our battle against America would be a very different one. Now, we need to attend to that. The vacuum is being filled. When you do not have a Judeo-Christian ethic any longer, when you don't believe in self-evident truths that are endowed by our Creator, when you elevate God to be in charge of, excuse me, when you elevate government to be in charge of everything, and you diminish God to be in charge of nothing then that vacuum is going to be filled by something of more substance, more clarity, and more specificity. Why is intrigue with Islam on the rise in America? This, this, is, this is, uh, should be antithetical to who we are. Well, the reason that young people are embracing Islam, even though it is a worldview of control, it's a worldview of the degradation of women, it's a worldview that embraces the doctrine of abrogation and the doctrine of deception and the doctrine of violence, this worldview is being embraced by young people in the United States because it has substance, it has clarity, whereas secularism, as it's defined by Joe Biden, is mush. It means nothing. Dr. Piper, um, very well argued and, uh, and articulated, just briefly on the issue at hand. Uh, and by the way, the update I just got across my screen said that at least three American troops were injured in that blast uh, outside the Abbey Gate of the uh, uh, Hamid Karzai Airport. Um, the extent of those injuries are unknown. Knowing that it's starting over there and that there are Americans who are trapped, What's your opinion? Should we, you know, I think we have 6,000 troops there who are essentially standby. They're not being allowed to go in and and rescue Americans. They're not being allowed to go in and confront the Taliban. Uh, Do we need to? Or uh, how would you handle the situation? Well, I'm not a military expert. So I I, I would defer. Just your opinion. I I would first defer to those conservative 
constitutionalist military men that understand how to answer your question. But my knee-jerk reaction, my personal opinion is, you have to show strength in the face of, you have to show strength. As a college president, if I was weak-kneed all the time, if I always cow-cowed to the most recent academic fad or the complaint of a, of a woke student who demanded his safe space, if I would have been weak-kneed in the face of those intellectual challenges, I would have compromised my leadership role. I would have had no right to tell anybody that this is where we're going, follow me. The point I'm making here is you have to show strength. Joe Biden has shown weakness. He's left these 6,000 soldiers standing with their guns at their hips, and they're being told not to do anything. Again, we should, we're the strongest military in the world. Why in the world don't we secure the boundary around this area? And if necessary, use your weapons to prove that you, the United States of America, will defend the life of your citizens and the lives of your of your allies. We're doing nothing. Dr. Everett Piper is our guest. Doctor, we're going to take our break here. That's uh, a perfect time to do it. We're going to, have to come back and talk about some absurdity here on the homeland. It's absurdity in Afghanistan right now, but here in our own American cities and in our schools, it is perhaps even worse. We'll talk about that with Dr. Piper next on AM 1420 The Answer. the free WHK mobile app and listen to your favorite WHK programs or podcasts on the go. It's free in your app store. Okay, 1023, we continue now. Our guest is Dr. Everett Piper, as we always talk to Dr. Piper for his commentary on the news of the day and of the week uh, on Thursdays. Uh, today, a little bit different because of the breaking news about the bombing uh, at the uh, Karzai Airport in Kabul. At least three American troops have said are said to have been injured. We don't know any details on their injuries or if there are more that will, will be reported. As we get it, uh, we will give it to you. All right, Dr. Piper, I mentioned absurdity here at home, and indeed there is. Let's uh, let's talk about what's being done to our students uh, as it pertains to vaccinations. Um, you know, I've heard some some doozies, and I've seen Ohio State University, for example, the largest university in America, with with what some sixty thousand students on campus. Every student, faculty member, and staffer at that university has to have a vaccine and a proof of a vaccine, a vaccine passport, will be required to be on that campus. Um, and we have seen, again, some other schools that are, that are going along with the same type of thing, especially since the FDA approved, uh, sort of kind of with a wink-wink, the Pfizer shot. But what happened, what's happening in Eatonville High School in Eatonville, Washington, is next-level uh, intimidation. It's next-level coercion into students being forced to receive a vaccine. And I'll let you tell the story. Well, they're requiring students, athletes in particular, to wear ankle bracelets. Ankle bracelets, much like you would put on a wait, wait, Which Which students and athletes? The important part here is the, the non-vaccinated student-athletes. Right. Right. So if you're not vaccinated, you've got to wear an ankle bracelet so they can track you. They can make sure that you're social distancing, etc. And as you know, I tweeted out, well, why, why force them to wear such cumbersome hardware? Why not just 
chip them with a digital ID. Oh, maybe maybe something like this. Three columns of six digits each in that digital ID to keep track of them and to make sure that they can't buy or sell or do anything in culture or in commerce unless they have that identification. You know what I'm saying right here. I'm being a little facetious, but frankly, it's more of a possibility now than we ever thought. I remember when I used to read Revelation as a kid, I thought to myself, how could there ever come a time when the world would be forced to take an identification in order to engage in commerce? How could that ever possibly be orchestrated? How could that ever possibly happen? You know, as we watch the daily news, it's not that far-fetched right now for for us to hear tomorrow that our government is telling us you can't go to the grocery store unless you have a ankle bracelet, and then you know what big tech is going to say. Well, why go with the hardware? Just implant a chip in everybody so that they can be tracked, and we know that everyone's safe. And we've got the church, the church leadership, buying into this nonsense and selling our soul for the sake of safety. The church should be a Shamed for being silent in the face of this threat. You know, I'm glad you tied these two things together. First of all, you're right. Um, you know, they've already done it in New York City. As you know, Bill de Blasio has declared, if you don't have a proof of a vaccine, then you can't go into uh, businesses, whether they be, you know, restaurants or gyms or arenas or anything else. So, you know, how do we how do we prove it? Well, let's make it easy. Let's put it on a chip, a little code, a little scan your arm, and, and it'll read, now you can indeed engage in commerce. You can buy and sell in the public marketplace. So you're, it's spot on, Revelations, and it's on the way. Uh, and then I'm glad you brought up about the church as well, because I noticed you uh, responded to a tweet by Reverend Ben Kremer. I don't know him. He's described as a pastor and a Wesleyan, and he said, if Christians somehow arrive at the conclusion that giving up some personal liberties for the sake of other people's safety somehow makes us less free, then we have deeply misunderstood the cross. He is saying that we should give up our liberties. We should give up the freedoms granted to us by God in order to appease other people and their fears, no matter how rational or, or irrational they may be. And you say what to that? I'm just tired of it. I'm tired of these emergent pastors, these woke, self-righteous, smug pastors, and even lay leaders within the evangelical church, telling us that somehow we're guilty of involuntary homicide if we don't wear a mask, or if we don't want to get vaccinated. I'm just tired of it. And they virtue signal and suggest that somehow you're virtueless and you're a vile person if you won't give up your uh, freedom for the sake of someone else's safety. So they've elevated safety as a first thing, to use C.S. Lewis's language, and they've diminished freedom to being a secondary thing. Well, I've got news for this pastor. The cross wasn't safe. The church isn't safe. The body of Christ isn't safe. Liberty isn't safe. The ivory tower isn't safe. My land, our Constitution, and our Declaration of Independence, our national history isn't safe, but it's good. That's the subtitle to my book, Grow Up. Life isn't safe, but it's good. If we reverse the order of first things and second things, which is what this pastor is doing, and elevate second things, safety, over and above freedom, which should be a first thing, which God gave us freedom from creation onward. 
We're not automatons. We're not robots. We don't have to do anything. We can defy God. We can ignore God. We can walk away from God. He's never said, well, I want you to be safe. Therefore, I'm going to take away your freedom. No, that's not the nature of the Imago Dei, the image of God. We weren't created to be safe. We were created to be holy, to be good, to be righteous in the confession and repentance that we have before the cross, which, again, I go back to my first point, the cross isn't safe. And I'm tired of these pastors suggesting that somehow you and I are wrong for fighting for liberty and freedom. Very well done and very well said, Dr. Everett Piper. That's why I wanted to tee it up for you. Dr. Piper, terrific stuff as always. Thank you so much for the wonderful column, by the way, too, on uh, you know writing from the Taliban to the, uh, uh, the Biden uh, uh, spokesperson. Terrific stuff. Thank you so much for the time, sir, and we'll talk to you again next week. Blessings, Bob. Bye-bye. Breaking news as I get to the bottom of the hour news. A second explosion has been reported outside the Kabul airport. A second explosion. Are these drone attacks? Are these suicide bombers? We have no earthly idea at this particular point in time. But at least two explosions have been reported and at least three U.S. troops hurt in the, uh, in the uh, bombing. Oh, here's a headline that does say it is a suicide bombing. So that gives you the answer to at least the first question. But at least three U.S. troops heard in the Kabul airport suicide bombing. And we'll uh, report more to you on that as we get it right here on AM 1420. Attention, social justice warriors. If you're looking for a safe space where your delicate ears won't be offended, this isn't it. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Okay, it's 1035. Thanks again to Dr. Piper. We're going to talk some local politics here in a moment. Um, but I need to give you the breaking news update uh, as we have it. Um, 41 minutes ago, the Pentagon confirmed the first explosion outside the Kabul airport. Casualties were unclear at that time. Um, shortly thereafter, we got a report from Fox News that at least three U.S. troops were hurt in that explosion, which was determined to be a suicide bombing. The extent of the injuries of those three U.S. troops were unclear at that time. Fifteen minutes ago, the update from Fox News is that uh, Capitol Hill sources say the explosion happened a second. No, I beg your pardon that the first explosion happened outside the airport when someone detonated a suicide vest. It was described as being a complex attack followed by a firefight. A gunfight erupted. All airport gates processing evacuees are now closed. Sources described the incident as a complex attack. Now, nine minutes ago, a second explosion reported near Kabul's airport. And uh, the most recent update we have is that a new security warning has been issued by the U.S. Embassy there warning U.S. citizens to avoid traveling to the airport and avoid airport gates at this time. There has been a large explosion and reports of gunfire. U.S. citizens who are at the Abbey Gate, East Gate, or North Gate are, uh, now should leave immediately. And that, of course, was the same message that was given and the warning that was given uh, several hours ago. So, once again, I would just ask the most obvious, obvious of questions here. Um, how is Joe Biden going to scrub all of the blood off of his hands 
if and when the American citizens who are still trapped in Afghanistan, still stranded in Afghanistan, cannot get to the airport because of the terror attacks there, cannot board these uh, uh, jets to their freedom and to their safety, uh, how is he going to get that blood off of his hands? According to the State Department, there are between 1,500 and 4,000 Americans still in Afghanistan. And according to Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense, we can't go in and get them. Why did we send 6,000 troops there to stand there with their, with their hands zip-tied behind their backs? Why aren't they there fighting to free American citizens and American allies? This is, without question, the worst foreign policy disaster in my lifetime and I won't say without question and say in American history because I would have to go back a bit and do some research, but this is, this is devastating. This is devastating. Weak, ineffectual leadership from a CIC that has no business commanding anything or making any decisions whatsoever, the pre-Alzheimer's patient president, and then you've got a couple of leaders of the military, including the Defense Department secretary, who's more interested in wokeness and attacking uh, the, the, the white supremacy in the U.S. military and, uh, and the anti-racist leanings of the, uh, of the uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley. Instead of focusing on military preparedness and readiness, they have been focused on their social justice campaigns. The U.S. military is now weakened and it is taking its marching orders from the enemy the taliban is declaring to them when they must be out or else there will be consequences and according to the reports we're getting they are taking those orders from the taliban they'll be out by tuesday we'll give you more breaking news on this as it uh becomes available to us but it's uh it's not good it is not good and the number of americans who are going to be <laughs> Trapped behind enemy uh, enemy lines by bloodthirsty savage terrorists is just uh, it's a hard thing to wrap your brain around. Okay, uh, let's. uh, I said we were going to talk local politics, and I want to do that now. Uh, We had scheduled this conversation before all of this breaking news happened. I want to keep it here because let's take our mind off of some of what's going on uh, across the world right now. And welcome Peter Kraftsick to our program. Peter ran for mayor of Parma a few years back, now running for the president of council in Parma. And uh, he's running with a whole bunch of Republican candidates in Parma for the first time in a very long time. And he joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Peter, good morning. How are you? Good. How are you doing, Bob? I'm doing well. Thanks very much. You know, attention is diverted a little bit across the world right now because of what's going on with American citizens overseas. But uh, obviously, we still have very important business to take care of here at home. So it's a pleasure to have you on the program. Uh, tell me a little bit about what's going on in Parma uh, with respect to 10 candidates uh, coming uh, that are uh, uh, declared candidates in Parma this year. That's uh, pretty unusual, right? Yeah, especially in a very Democrat-controlled city like Parma, or so they will say. So we had this uh, crazy idea six years ago, me and a friend of mine. We said, you know, why don't we start to turn Parma red? Because when you look at everything that happens at the county, the corruption, where do a lot of those people come from? They come from Parma, and they have a lot of ties. We call it the the minor leagues for the big leagues in terms of what happens at the county and the state level within the Democratic Party. So we said, look, if we go out there and begin to get a presence, get a foothold, get a stranglehold in the city, dig our feet in the sand and say, look, there's a line that we will not cross 
here's what's going to happen. We're going to get candidates. We have we put this plan together six years ago, and it's an eight-year plan. And the first part of it was just getting the name out there that there were Republicans back in Parma. We had two fantastic candidates, Jolene Austin and Amanda Billy, ran two years ago as city council people. And our momentum continued through the 2020 election. Unfortunately, that election didn't turn out the way we wanted it to with Trump losing. But Moving into 2021, we were able to recruit six people to run for city council and four people to run for school board, which this was beyond my wildest dreams. I thought the next election in 2023 was going to be the one where we were going to have the chance to get a majority of Republicans in city council, but we can do it this election. And to be 25 years old, to be able to be a huge part of this in this city, it's happening not just citywide, it's countywide. We're seeing more Republican clubs pop up in the county every single day. And it's really exciting because I grew up with Parma being a super Democrat city. You've never seen an R next to a name in my lifetime in Parma. There was one, and that was Amanda two years ago. Um, It's really exciting to see that people are just fed up with what's going on. And you don't need to be a lawyer. You don't need to be an accountant. You don't need to be any of that. You just need to be somebody who's willing to pick up the phone, listen to your constituents, and do the right thing. And Unfortunately, in my city, it's been one party who has not been doing the right thing for the past 30, 40 years. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's quite an amazing thing to have, the, you know, a, a deeply blue city like that suddenly, you know, finding, finding out that there is another party, finding out that there is another side to the story, if you will. To what do you, attri- do you attribute the sudden, uh, you know, a surge of candidates? Is it what you put in play six years ago and that's just now bearing fruit or is there more to it than that? I, I I'm kind of wondering, uh, I guess, you know, what role, uh, you, you mentioned President Trump losing, and I would probably counter that and say President Trump had his, his, had his victory stolen from him. Uh, but I wonder between that event and then all that's going on right now in our public schools with respect to masking and mandates and, uh, you know, critical race theory and gender theory and all of the things that are going on right now, is that what has spurred uh, and lit, lit a fire underneath some conservative Republicans in Parma to get out there and do, do something about it? Oh, without question. I think a lot of it comes from people were just fed up locally with these issues like you were talking about, the CRT. And and the big thing it comes down to is the elected officials just don't listen. It doesn't matter... You know, you could put anybody else in there and they would do a better job. It's just the fact right now, a lot of these school boards and these city councils just don't care. And I'll give you one example in Parma. I emailed during COVID last year, I think it was December of 2020, somewhere in that range. I emailed all the members on council. I said, hey, are these meetings available on Zoom? And they go, no. And I asked, I said, we're the seventh largest city in the state. Why isn't this, why aren't we able to do this? This should be something that's easy. And they said, we don't have the technology for it, which when you look at it from the standpoint that the city gives on an iPad to every single uh, member of council for their meetings, and we have Wi-Fi at City Hall, it's just a basic lack of transparency and things of that nature. And I think what we've done really well is, and along with our county party chair here, Lisa has been fantastic. She has done such an awesome job to really push these clubs and really push these candidates forward is we've been able to just highlight, look, here are simple issues and here are simple solutions to them because most of these issues that we have, whether it's the CRT, whether it's the mask mandates, whether it's city council people not picking up their phones and things of that nature, there are simple solutions to simple problems. 
right? These are not huge, complex problems that need teams of people working on them. These are simple problems that we have to fix, and you need people who have business experience or people managing people. You know, I'm running against someone who's a government teacher, and he's a fantastic government teacher, but at the same time, on the flip side, I manage people right now. I own a couple businesses. I understand the tough decisions that have to be made, and I think people... Countywide, statewide, and nationwide are starting to realize, okay, you know what? Just because you got all the accolades doesn't mean you're exactly the best candidate. The best candidate is the one that listens, the one that is the most pragmatic, and the one that is able to listen to the people within the community. And that's not what we've seen from the Democrats in this county and this state for a long time. Well, it's a welcome. You know, I'm a conservative Republican, so quite obviously, I'm 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 going to constantly, you know, lean lean in that direction, but. I just like the fact that for a change, uh, uh, a district that has been dominated or a city or a town or a region that has been dominated by one party for so very long is actually starting to, you know, to welcome challengers and to welcome other ideas. And I, you know, again, I might be hypocritical here because I might say, I might not say if there was a strong red city where they always have Republican council members, board members, and mayors, and so on and so forth, I welcome Democrats to come in and challenge and win some of these things, because I'd probably be hypocritical there. But it is about time uh, that a place like Parma, which is so influential, right? I mean, in Northeast Ohio, uh, you know, the inner ring, outer ring suburbs of Cleveland are extraordinarily important to the overall economic development and success of the region. And, you know, Parma is no different. And if Parma is going to continue to suffer under uh, Democrat leadership, and and quite frankly, it's been on the decline for a very long time, something ought to be done, right? No, and I agree 100%. And Parma is such a unique city in the sense that we are still a heavy immigrant town. I just walked in the the Parma-Ukrainian Festival Parade this past weekend, and I had so many people coming up to me at that who immigrated from Ukraine, whether they were Polish, Ukrainian, Serbian, they all... They all come out for each other's events, and it's so unique that we that we have a huge city. We're the seventh largest state or city in the state, and it's so incredible that we have a city like that and people coming up to me going, look, we came here so we escaped a lot of this stuff that's happening on that side of the world, and we like to think sometimes that we're isolated from it and that these things will never happen mm-hmm. to us in America, and that's why people leave their country to come to America. And I, I see what's going on on the other side of the world where we have people in the whole debacle in Afghanistan. That's a whole nother debate. But I see people leaving their homelands to come to America because it's great and it's free. And I think we need local people running for office that are that do understand that, that understand what is at stake. And if we don't have people that stand up for these basic principles, whether it be at the school board level, the city council level, your congressman, your senator or your governor, if you don't have elected officials that stand up for that, then there's a serious problem. And I think that's what's happened in Parma over the last six years is people just look at it and go, look, I'm sick and tired of these people thinking that they're better than us, that they know more than us, that they're just, this elite class of Democrat politicians in the county. And, and again, I said it all the time. You look at what happens at the county, it directly correlates to Parma sometimes. So the apple that's in right. this instance doesn't really far fall from the tree. I would probably 
changed the wording from elite Democrat class to elitist class. They think that they're elite and they're no better than anybody else, but that's just the way they. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, so Peter Kraftsick, you're running for a, a council board or council president, rather, uh, and I wish you the very best of luck there, as well as everybody else. In particular, those those school board races. I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to know uh, what every uh, incumbent board member has said about CRT or any of the other things going on in the schools. But if they are the way so many other public schools are, um, the chances are very, very good that uh, that there is going to be need to be some house cleaning there, and that individuals running for school board who are, de- I don't care if they're Republicans or not, but who are dedicated to actual education rather than social indoctrination and trying to solve solve every cultural and social problem in the world at the expense of the kids, uh, then we need to get those kinds of people in and keep those get those other kind of people who have been uh, responsible for it out. Oh, absolutely. And when you, and it, it highlights the importance of it when you have gentlemen running for U.S. Senate like Bernie Moreno and Mike Gibbons calling me on almost a near daily basis. Hey, how can we help your candidates out in Parma with the school board and the council races? They are super important races because these people make direct decisions that impact my life and the, and the lives of the people within my city. And it's great to see two people like Bernie and Mike who actually really care about this and really push it forward and go, you know what, I want to help out. I want to make sure that this county, this community has the right people in charge. And it, and it is, we are at a tipping point in this county and in my city in particular where we need those people in charge, the ones that do the right thing, that don't just take over, that take the idea from the woke mob and continue with it. Very well said. Well, listen, I'm glad to have you on. It's obviously very important when we get into these local races, and a city like Parma plays such a big role, I think, in all of Northeast Ohio, given its size. And as you say, it's community. It's diverse community as well. So Peter Kraftsick running for uh, city council president in Parma. I appreciate you coming on. Best of luck to you and the rest of the uh, candidates there and trying to bring some balance to that city and hopefully move it forward. We appreciate the time. Hey, thank you, Bob. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. All right, that's Peter Kraftsick running for the council president in Parma. A little local politics for you that are very, very important. We'll come back. I'll give you an update on what's going on at the uh, Cabo Airport. Uh, if I have new information, I'll share with you next on AM 1420. Ohio's first station is now the answer for Northeast Ohio. We're AM 1420, the answer. Okay, 10.55 now. Here's an update on what's going on at Kabul. Uh, Peter Ducey from Fox News reporting. It was 10 days ago that security concerns were arising during this new relationship that the U.S. military had for this operation with the Taliban. The president said about the Taliban, if they attack our personnel or disrupt our operation, the U.S. presence will be swift and the response will be swift and forceful. We will defend our people with devastating force if necessary. That was about the Taliban. It is unclear right now if that also applies to these ISIS-K fighters, if that is, in fact, who turns out to be responsible. And the real question is, is are they really going to try to make a difference between these people, between the Taliban and these ISIS-K fighters? If they are working collaboratively, then you have to treat them collaboratively. And if what Joe Biden said was what he meant, that we will have an amazing, massive force 
against them if they harm any Americans or American troops. Three American troops thus far have been injured in that first blast. We don't even know what the final total is going to be. But the question is, is will Joe Biden show a spine? Will he actually show a backbone here, or will he continue to cower at the feet of the Taliban? All right, let's go to BJ in North Olmstead. Hey, BJ, you're on the air. Go ahead. Thank you, Bob. I'd like to bring a different perspective to this. When Ross Strauss says, I don't care who the hell runs the government as long as I control the banks. And when Moses came down from the mountain and smashed the Ten Commandments, he saw them worshiping the golden calf. When Jesus kicked over the tables in front of the temple because of the money changers, they put them on a cross. Every government is controlled by the banking system. I don't care if they're enemies or if they're uh, peaceful, whatever they are. The golden calf controls this world, and there's profit in war, no matter what side fights it or wins it. You have to wake up to that reality, or else take the Bible and throw it away. It doesn't make any sense. The golden calf rules this world. It's ruled it for centuries, and if we don't wake up to that, God knows what will happen, and only God knows. Thank you. BJ, I appreciate your phone call. Thank you. Let's go to Parma, and Joe, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Joe, go ahead. Um, I was listening to your uh, guest, Peter, and he is 1,000% right when it comes to Parma. Mm-hmm. And but my take on it, I think the real reason why Parma is flipping is these people were conservative all along. They just didn't realize it. Um, I grew up in Slavic Village, moved to Parma. I understand these people very well. They were just like my family. You know, they were Kennedy Democrats. Uh, they worked in steel mills. They worked in all these places. The Democrats were there to protect them. They've just voted Democrat all along. As time goes by, they're just seeing what's happened to their party. And when some of them left and went to uh, Trump, the Democrats completely threw them under the bus, called them deplorables, and lost them forever. And we've got a real good chance of, of taking this city back um, to its cons- uh, conservative roots if we just play our cards right. Um, I don't think it's a matter of pointing fingers and saying, look what these damn Democrats do. It's just a matter of saying, hey, look at look at what's happened to our party. Look at what they're doing. It's been taken over. And if you take that tack, you convince a lot of people. I've been doing this for a lot of years. When I was in Slavic Village, I saw what Democrats and liberals do. When there's a crisis, they take people, take advantage of them. Uh, there, there were... There were things like I remember one time when uh, the... Uh, hey, hey, Joe, Joe, I'm going to have to jump in there, my friend, uh, because I'm out of time here. I appreciate your phone call, but I am glad to see, uh, you know, people stepping up and, and supporting this. Like you said, you know, when you've got somebody willing to step up and fight the way Peter is, uh, and he's fighting the good fight and for the right reasons, and there's a great turn in the city of Parma, I'm very glad to see it. That is all the time that I have, though. Thank you so much to everybody for being a part of the show. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.